Hi, this is Joy. Just wanted to let you know that today you're going to hear part one of a conversation with Paul and Karen Henze. Jeff and I had such a lovely time talking with them that we went way over our normal podcast time frame. So we decided to split their episode into two parts. Each part contains a wealth of information. We dive deep into some subjects about living overseas, balancing family life, how success is measured, and what are some ways that faith communities can focus on both internal and external health. We also cover some interesting topics like bubbles, metrics, features, and bugs. So don't miss out. Today's only part one. And make sure you join us next week when we release part two of the rest of our conversation. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Communitas podcast. So excited today to sit down and spend some time via Zoom with some longtime uh, folks who have been involved with Communitas for, uh, gosh, 25 plus years uh, in one form or another, I guess I should say. We'll get into the history in here in just a little bit. But Paul and Karen Henze, uh, who spent years in Poland and uh, are now back in Santa Cruz, California. So we'll get to get some insight on the cultural shift that that caused uh, a few years ago when you moved back. So welcome, Paul and Karen. So glad to have you with us today. Thank you. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah, great to be here. Oh, fantastic. And of course, Joy Preston is joining us today as well. And uh, we'll just have a number of questions to ask you guys and Hopefully, here's some some good stories and insights from your years of work in uh, the mission field. So we'll kick this off. Give us a little bit of background. Paul, why don't you start um, just giving us kind of a, an overview, and then we'll make sure you're right by asking Karen the same question uh, here in a moment. But how did you get engaged in, in missions work? How did you even discover Communitas? Give us some of the background. Wow. Um I was brought up in a Christian home, and our church was actually very, very missions-minded. Had a missions conference every year, missionaries coming through. Actually, our pastor at that time, when I was a kid, was a missionary from um, Guinea hmm. in Africa. And one year during, when I was 13, during a missions conference, I felt that God was calling me to missions, and at that point, I knew where I was going to college, which when I graduated high school, I went on to that college and graduated. Uh, for the most part, I stayed kind of in a Christian bubble. Hmm. And it was after college that I went into the army for two years huh. for a number of reasons and was sent to Germany where I was with a frontline unit. So even though I spent time out off post with a Christian organization, a ministry to soldiers, which, by the way, is where I met Karen. Yeah. Um, I spent at least half the time in some field or forest in Germany, cramping around. And so that was a really good experience to be act absolutely immersed in a non-believing environment. Hmm. Um, afterwards, we got out. I got out of the Army, went to Trinity, came to California to do ministry. Um, but through a series of different events, ended up working in Silicon Valley for seven years. 
setting up large international networks. And once again, that's where I really discovered that I think our best ministry is actually when we're not in ministry. Yeah. Wow. Um, There was this one evening that just, it's right there in my mind. I had a business trip down to LA area. And as usual, one of the people in the office was tasked to take me out to a good restaurant and make sure I wasn't bored. And we had a really nice dinner. I, I do remember that. But on the way back, this man started talking. I asked him questions about his family and he got really serious and went very, very deep hmm. suddenly and how hard it was to be estranged from his teenage daughter. Hmm. And we sat in the car and talked for an hour back at my hotel. And I ended up just praying with him, asking for God's comfort and guidance. It just reemphasized to me how much, how many people out there are looking for God, are, are really experiencing the, the difficulty of life and us being salt and light right next to them mm. is such a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, later, Karen and I started looking. Um, where Our intent was always to go back to Europe and started looking at different possibilities, ended up going to Poland and working with leaders across the country uh, to emphasize and catalyze church planting. And we had dozens of um, dozens of church planters that we were training in one form or another, uh, activating leadership. Nice. But at some point, we felt called to pursue a different route and to start working more hands-on with people in need. And that's when Communitas came along. Yeah. And um, Karen had, she can tell a little bit more how she first experienced Communitas. But uh, that's where we came in in the last 10 years of our ministry in Poland. We were working with marginalized people, at-risk youth, elderly, homeless people, addicted, uh, and that was just a wonderful thing yeah. to be able to be Jesus to people in need. Outstanding. I absolutely love that. So I, I'm really impressed. I didn't know um, the, the the background detail, Paul, of th- how many 13-year-olds know where they're going to college right? and that they're serving in <laughs> mission. Amazing. I mean, <laughs> my goodness, <laughs> you're an inspiration, my friend. <laughs> Maybe we, I don't we, know. We won't talk about what I was doing at thirteen now, <laughs> but I've heard that. Um, I mean, yes, that's true. But as I said, there was this bubble. I mean, I was in yeah. a bubble until mm-hmm. I got true. out of college. Yeah, and even after college, I was still in a bubble. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I got into the army that the bubble burst, mm-hmm. and I think that that's part of it as well. So there's this positive part. But I am, you know, especially working with addiction, addicted people. Yeah. I'm very thankful that I don't, that's not part of my testimony. Yeah. On the other hand, being in a bubble for so long, 
is also not a positive thing. I don't mm-hmm. think. Yeah, no, I, that, that's really interesting. Boy, that's a conversation there. Uh, and I want to go there. Maybe we'll save it just a little bit. Karen, give us a little bit of the background for you. So you actually met in Germany. So we did. how did you find yourself in Germany at that time? Okay, well, I did not. My faith journey started when I was 15. So okay. I was raised in a secular, very loving, supportive, healthy family, but very secular agnostic. So I, uh, other than one wedding, I set foot in a church for the first time at the age of 15 Mm. and came to faith really very quickly after. Um, Mm. But I'm not going to say but, and I guess, um, as many people do, um, I was a master at becoming, I was a pretty good kid before coming to faith, you know, a little here, there, but generally pretty good rule follower. And so I just slipped into that mold. Yeah. Or uh, in the church. So I was, you know, in the youth group, in the choir, at Bible study, doing all the right stuff, you know, known as as a spiritual leader, blah, blah, blah. And the reality was there was not a whole lot. I was doing the best with what I knew. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't a lot of life uh, for the first probably eight years of my uh. spiritual journey. I mean, there was a lot of um, belonging to groups and mm-hmm. following with those groups. Um, so about eight years later, God started breaking through and it's actually this whole area of mission because, um, I had actually lived overseas as a kid twice for two years at a time, once in Pakistan and once in Sri Lanka, my family, my dad was a professor. And although I loved those experiences, I did not like the, uh, coming back and being, not being understood, having lost my group, those issues, Mm -hmm. um, so I was pretty determined um, in my circle of friends. I was the outlier or the oddity because they all wanted to marry pastors again, the bubble. And I said, I don't ever want to marry anybody in the ministry. And I don't ever want to marry a doctor because those kinds of people are on call all the time. And I just want a normal life. Yeah. Some um, good wisdom in both of those. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but the, the, and actually kind of glad I never went either those routes in terms of the traditional models. But um, my church also had the missions conference every year, but I was the kid, unlike Paul walking forward and committing his life to missions. I was the um, 15, 16, actually probably at that point, 20 something year old holding the pew with white knuckles because I'm not going down there Mm because this life is not what I want. Even though uh, listening to a pastor talk about how oftentimes God prepares us for life steps just through our experience. And he's like listing these things and, you know, um, an affinity for language learning and cross-cultural experience. It's been positive. And he, there were probably six or eight. I'm like, Oh crap. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I held on cause I'm not going through. So it wasn't until, um, in my twenties that I finally, you know, God broke through and I let go of that and actually started a conversation and uh, the missions pastor at the time who, um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm grateful or want to hit him, but, um, I love the guy <laughs> and he, he broke all the rules because we had a very extensive missions prep program. Yeah. And, uh, he said, this girl's been fighting this issue for so long. If we put her in the program, she'll never go. And mm-hmm. so he mm-hmm. actually fast tracked me 
and I went overseas to the Philippines for six months. Mm. Um, very, uh, probably more quickly, maybe more quickly than I should have, but what an experience. It was amazing. Wow. So then came back and realized that I loved life on mission. And that was really how I felt God using me. I thought I would go back to the Philippines. Actually, I came back to do some Bible training because all my education had been um, secular and um, education, speech, speech language pathology. So education and uh, clinical. And um, in that time, this opportunity to go to Germany came up through, um, <laughs> I was seconded to a very conservative mission organization that I never would have chosen on my own, but they were the ones, The there was a family in my church who had three boys, and this family ran a ministry to U.S. military um, in a particular region. Actually, this was all over Europe, the ministry mm. extended. And their kids were having academic problems in the European schools. And there was mm. a lot of anti-American sentiment and much of it well-deserved, yeah. unfortunately. Um, and so the church, I was between contracts because I'd been in Bible college. So they asked me if I would be willing to go homeschool these boys because <clears throat> otherwise the family was going to have to come back to the States. Mm. So I went and they were, you know, almost ran out when these guys came in the first time to the Bible said to the hospitality house in Bible city in their battle dress, their BDUs. And I'm like, <laughs> this is, feels like a war zone, but I met this really nice guy, you know, there who um, I did not think I would ever be involved with, except that we both loved missions and had common vision. So we became friends very quickly yeah and then eventually over time that fr that friendship blossomed and uh, so yeah so that's yeah. how i got there to europe wow and that whole adventure and i think um like with paul um this was a very military conservative type organization so a lot of what we were seeing we were loving the people but saying this we don't ever want to do this long term mm. right mm -hmm. this was a means for me to do the work I needed to do for those two years. But, um, you know, we, I think that was the beginning of that vision of seeing how many uh, church planting organizations and emphasis was just bringing a North American church and throwing it in a European context mm -hmm. and changing the language. Mm -hmm. And so there was nothing organic about it. And even though we didn't have all the vocabulary for that necessarily, I certainly didn't. I knew this is not, this is feeling really, really, um wrong and disrespectful and actually not very helpful or useful or strategic even all of those things so that kind of became began our journey in discussing what would we do differently yeah which also <laughs> meant that paul's denomination said oh sorry you guys don't fit anymore uh -huh. we're asking the wrong questions wow Oof. okay well that'll burst a bubble that's yeah, yeah. Interesting. But it's good. It's a good process, right? I mean, sure. Really well, I'm process. so I, I'm so impressed with your experience of one having cross cultural experiences as, a, as before leaving the house. You know, you had that mm -hmm. growing up, which can be such an eye opener. But then also, you know, the Philippines and then Germany and and other stops that you made. You know, one of the things that I think so many people have to realize that maybe don't at a young age is that. Most of the things that we go through and learn from in life are um, gateways. They're not destinations, mm -hmm. you know, and at 22 or 23, it's kind of, you kind of have the sense of, oh, okay, I've, I've chosen this life and God has sent me here. This is my destination. And it's probably a doorway <laughs> or a gateway, yeah. you know, 
So it's so, so interesting that you had so many gateways that prepared you uh, for what became a, at least a longer term destination. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah, it sounds like you both have had some uh, gateway experiences and, and also a, a bit of a, we'll use the modern term there at some point for both of you, there was a deconstruction of what was, and then a reconstruction of what was to be. So um, in fact, hearing your story reminds me a lot of Joyce's story. I think you share some things in common there. Uh, Paul, let's go back to the, the bubble bursting. Like what, how was that disorienting for you? Was it liberating for you? Was it an easy process? Um, yeah, how did it how did it impact or change your views on church, let's say, but then also even on your your personal faith? Um, part of my experience in Silicon Valley was also our being part of a a large church that was growing rapidly. When we first started there in 1990, there were about a thousand people, 1,200. By the time we left in 98, January of 98, it was 3,500. So it was like grabbing a tiger by the tail. Yeah. Right. So that was the, the ministry context. And we had done a number of things as lay people and then um, took over the missions program as lay people. Hmm. But the missions program was huge. I mean, it was getting, we had like 20 units and we drew the budget from 200,000 to 300,000 in just a few years. So hmm. it was actually really growing a lot to oversee. So that's the context, right? This yeah. ministry context, lots of stuff going on. People coming to Christ every week. And against that was the, the time in the business world hmm. and experiencing that and having to work through uh, issues of ethics. Yeah. You know, one of the contracts was uh, we were installing software that they had not bought. They bought one copy, we installed it everywhere. And, you know, I kept asking about it. And finally, I took a stand and said, and this was as a consultant, I will no longer do this, knowing full well that they could fire me yep. or just say, you're not coming back then. Um, the opposite actually happened. They started buying the software, which is what I wanted oh. them to do anyways. Sure. Right. So I'm having this, it's this really interesting context. Uh, one of my takeaways ultimately is I would probably not do full-time ministry back here in the States. I would rather do ministry, be salt and light in the workplace. Yeah. Um, I had one to two people that would introduce others at this one contract. Uh, as they would introduce me as their pastor hmm. uh, because there was discipleship going on yeah. bit by bit. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the guys kind of walked backwards into faith. I won't say I tricked him, but 
he he discovered faith hmm. uh, during our time together. So that was really instrumental for me. And it's something, I think that that's actually why the last 10 years of Poland being back with people trying to figure out life without God was so fulfilling. Hmm. Um, because we are bringing the kingdom of God to them. Mm-hmm. They're experiencing the kingdom of God through us. Uh, the discussions become natural. What is the what are what does the kingdom of God look like? Hmm. You know, we call them faith discussions, but it's really that. Yeah. And um, I, I think that that's how it, it has changed me. You know, the thirteen-year-old who could who already knew where he would go to college and what life looked like after that has been replaced by someone who really sees ministry as the way we define it in the States, full-time ministry. Yeah. Um, it's not a given to actually doing ministry. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's good insight. Um, Karen, Joy, jump in anytime. You know how I just mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> jump in with the next big question that comes to my mind. Karen, you spoke about um the the element of belonging in your in your younger age mm-hmm. and what i was perceiving from that was almost a sense of um kind of the comfort of belonging but the anchor kind of i mean it's a group of people but it was centered around a place and what struck me is cuz uh, i experienced that too in high school through a youth group and I later started learning that God wasn't calling me to comfort. And and I wonder if that's maybe something that a lot of people get high centered on when they get so engaged with a church in a kind of, for lack of a better word, somewhat closed community of people. What are you, is that accurate? What do you think of that? Yeah, I am. I think there's a natural striving for, fitting, you know, for community mm-hmm. or finding a place where we fit, where we say we belong. Yeah. Um, and I've been struggling with that recently, actually, because we haven't really found that yet coming back in our transition time. Right? Mm. We know lots of people, um, but we don't have that space, you know, where it's really tight outside of communitas. We have it within within that. That's that's the virtual world. But yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I think what I, I'm kind of coming to this, the conclusion as a, sort of like what you said, Jeff, that that's probably not the goal. Mm. I mean, community is essential. I believe in that. Absolutely. But yeah. comfort um, and having community look like I want it to look like or being pre-designed by me mm. to look a certain way, I don't think that's what God's calling us to. Um, I think if if I had come back to community that felt and looked exactly like I wanted it to in this chapter, I probably would not be open to a lot of the opportunities around me, the the conversations that come up mm-hmm. in a daily basis, whether it's at the grocery store with my mom's gardener, with the neighbor, mm-hmm. um, whoever, you know, whoever uh, God brings us in contact with. You know, I think when com- when community is too comfortable and too much the way I want it, 
Yeah. We stay there and we just sort of dart out. And um, that was definitely the case in my early church experience. But I think we can recreate it, even if we're doing ministry that's not so big church based, you know, and I think um, uh, um, it's uh, Pete Briscoe been listening to his kind of angelical podcast, yes. his story, and he <laughs> talks about the house, you know, and um, we built a the system really there was a house built and as long as you stayed in the house everything was okay but don't go outside it's dangerous out there right and that's that model's been gone from my life for a long time and yet there's a, always a temptation to build another one yes but this one i'll design right and <laughs> right i'll have it, the comfortable space in the middle um but if we look at the narrative of scripture there was not a whole lot of comfort there's moments of this is great, I love this, and then those moments pass, and we go into another perhaps uncomfortable, difficult, challenging, um, I don't know what's going on phase. Yep. yep. And um, I would think at my age, I would figure out that is the normal, but you know, it's going to take a while. Like, <laughs> I still, there's still like this ideal situation that I, I would love to have out there, and I realize I don't think that's what God is calling me or us to at all. You yeah. know, and I'll miss the joy in the moments if I'm trying to build it. Right. Yeah, really sense. good. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Sounds like you're saying without all of that comfort, it leaves you hungry and like a longing instead of belonging that keeps you looking and open. And like you said, noticing those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me think about you reference. There was a big transition that happened when you didn't fit the denomination and you pivoted, it sounded like at some point um, in your time. I don't know if you were in Poland when that happened, but thinking about it in the context of this conversation and the community and the belonging and the looking and the searching, I imagine that was a big time in your life where you were searching and looking for the next opportunity. I'm just curious, how did you handle that with that? I mean, there are some needs that have to be met. And like you said, community is essential. What did that process look like? Because we're all going to go through those transitions in life, right? And hearing how someone else handled that can be like taillights for others to follow. Well, I, I mean, I grew up within the denomination. Actually, my dad was pastor of the denomination, which he actually mm. went to Bible college when I went to Bible college and became a oh. pastor. Wow. And wow. served in that denomination until his death. Um. So that was pretty much all of it I was thinking, right? Mm. But there were there were two things. One was a, a strategy thing, what we wanted to do in Europe. Uh, we had seen the denominational church in, in Germany, and basically the pastor had grown up speaking kitchen German as a child. So his German was not at a high level, but it was pretty fluent. Mm -hmm. came to Germany to start this ministry and literally brought the denominational hymnal over and translated it into mm. German. Mm. So we were in what was very familiar to me, but in a, a German context, and it just felt wrong. So we were looking for a different way, which was to partner up with um, an existing denomination or existing believers there and yeah. catalyzing them. And actually, I did a whole 
proposal. It's like 20 page proposal, well researched that I sent all the way up to the president of the denomination. No one liked it. So that was part of it, right? Was mm. catching this different, this different view. But there are some other things going on. Um, missionaries were required to send their children away to boarding school at the age of eight. Wow. Oh, required. Wow. And we had two problems with that. The, the big problem was, who are you to tell us what to do with our kids? But the other problem is, so our children are not going to be part of this culture, this community that we've chosen. Yeah. And you're telling us that we have to do that. And uh, Karen got into a couple of knockdown, drag out fights <laughs> over this. So well, there were a couple of things that that started to as um, started to uh, loosen the edges for us. Mm -hmm. Right. We ended up coming to California. That's why we ended up here. Was that denomination only at that time supported their missionaries. And so I had no way to, I, I had no way forward Wow! once we made that choice. So we came back to California where at least Karen had contacts in, in churches. Uh, and at that point, a number of people, some of her former pastors even, had been or were part of the, the home church that uh, we became members of. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, it was it was a big deal, but it was it wasn't like a, a you know a scroll coming down from heaven. Yeah, it was a realization of non-fit. Right. Yeah. And things that values that we held. There are these two very, very strong values in acculturation value to become a part of that community, to learn the language, to learn the culture, to become a part of that. And the family value mm -hmm. that our, our children are not pawns in this thing, right. that they're our children. They're not missionaries. Yeah. They're missionary kids. Mm -hmm. Choose what part they want to play in that. Yeah. Wow. But good I on, good on you. Any other group yeah. to tell you what to do. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure your kids have told you, but I mean, that's just incredible. And what a gift to them. We went to Bible school with a lot of missionary kids, and their story was not that their parents chose them. So well done. <laughs> Thanks. Our kids yeah. actually over time have thanked us mm. as they understood that that's the biggest gift ever. You yes. Know, when yeah. they actually got it and realized mm -hmm. that we made choices for them. Mm -hmm. um, and they, I mean, life, life is just isn't easy anywhere. Right. But and right. their culture, kids have unique issues and struggles, but they have had continue to have good lives, interesting lives that they're grateful for experiences yeah. that have helped shape them you know um and you know i respect friends and colleagues who've made other decisions 
-hmm. you know, as long as as a family, they made that decision and they shored it up with wisdom and, you know, cared well for their children, even if uh, they did things differently than we did. But um, yeah, that, that, <laughs> it wasn't quite a knockdown drag out, but um, <laughs> with the pastor at the time, but it was pretty strong because sure. I basically mm -hmm. told him if, if he was going to make decisions for my children's education in future, then he was going to pay for their counseling. Right. And it all <laughs> came apart. <laughs> he wasn't so committed to that part. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. Yeah. Oh, man. It does kind of some level. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. It kind of makes it really clear. Like, this is why. Here's the long-term yeah. risk. Yeah. So... Yeah. Oh, that's so good. My goodness. There's so much um, gold in, in these last mm. few moments, just because uh, sometimes people feel called into mission and it's oftentimes it's almost more of a romantic pursuit, the romance of the new and the different and the challenge and which is beautiful in a sense, but we often don't take into consideration the impact on those around us. And I mean, we've seen that in our, our mission work. We've all seen that, you know, we have to really take very good care of our children mm -hmm. in the midst of, of, you know, moving them around. So, yeah, yeah, that's a really great nugget. Thank you so much for sharing that. So let's transition a little bit to Poland itself. Like what, how did you, you already told a little bit about how you found yourselves there, but even, even in that experience, you had a pretty significant transition um, in that. So what did things look like when you started in Poland and then what did they transition to? So ministry wise, we were with a larger group called the Alliance for Saturation Church Planting that was throughout all the former Warsaw Pact CIS countries. Yeah. And we're really intent on catalyzing uh, church planting movement in the various countries they were in. We saw some. I mean, in 15 years, 5,400 churches were planted out of this group, hmm. which is significant. Yeah. Um, and so we, we started doing that as well. We did a, a research. Um, I got hold of some mapping software and did some screen scraping and came up with the first map showing at a county level how many churches were, evangelical churches were in Poland. And I remember the first time I showed it, it was like somebody had like put a light switch or something on each seat because you could see a physical reaction huh. to this map and they started talking about what to do with them the white spaces and, and that became a big a big issue uh but over time there were three inflection points in hmm. poland in our our work the first was 2004 poland went into the eu right and suddenly we had no one to do church planting training with because all the risk takers left to make money. Uh. So 2004, 2006, we brought all the denominational leaders, including their governing boards together 
to get something going. At, at some point in the weekend, we decided to let the leaders take over the meeting, which was the right decision, but the ultimate decision was not to do talk about church planting, but talk about church development. Hmm. With Because there's a spot. If we do church development, then churches will be planted. But your church is never healthy enough. Right. Or big enough, or rich enough, or whatever enough to plant a church. It just isn't. Right. Right. It's actually the cart before the horse. And then the third one was 2008, the meltdown, financial meltdown, because mm. all of a sudden money got really, really tight. Yeah. And uh, groups were no longer being funded if they could not show individual metrics. Yeah. So this whole thing about partnering mm. to reach the whole country suddenly fell away mm. because the individual groups were no longer able to um, show any sort of individual metrics, right? If you're Pentecostal, Baptist, and free church, and you're all working together, who owns the fruit? Yeah. And so I think, once again, that was a, a, a loosening the edges for us as we were seeing the end of this. So there are other things going on uh, that were drawing us in another direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say, though, because I had nothing to do with the planning of that big event, um, but I got to attend it. And um, this the team of, of, um, of course, it was at that time men <laughs> who mm -hmm. planned this, um, missionaries from various organizations, um, they did a masterful job, but the best thing they ever did was in all of their contacts and networks, they brought the best Polish leaders in Good. each topic. Yeah. I think there were eight, eight topics. Hmm. So we heard from just amazing ministry leaders in the area of outreach, in the area yeah. of pastoral care. She's talking about a conference that we put in, a national conference that brought yeah. the, all the evangelical pastors from all the evangelical denominations except two together for the first time ever. Huh. Mm. Yeah. And it was, it was an amazing thing. And you know, we hoped for great things from it because it was, it was truly a life-changing experience for everyone who was there, as well as for those of us who are just kind of observing from the side. Um, but everything's about choice. And, you know, we saw how quickly um, the focus shifted from new communities of faith to a greater um, image, yeah, better right. in more influence and image, um, because the evangelical church, you know, Polish Poland is a Catholic country, so they always felt like the ugly stepchildren or whatever awful you know phrase you want to use, and so they were fighting for validity. And that seemed to have taken over, even though I don't think it was intentional. I just mm. think there's a pull towards that. Mm -hmm. I want to be valued. I want to be seen as contributing something significant, and it can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a huge part of, of our pivot in realizing that um, 
we were not really we we were not interested in supporting church development as it was defined. That wasn't our calling, nor did we see that going anywhere. It yep. just seemed like churches were becoming more and more insular. Yep. And every conference was the same thing. Yeah. So good people with good ideas, but it was and and then you know Western money. So if it was funded from the West, then even if the Western idea was really stupid, there was a tendency to to do it. Yeah. You know, and so that was we needed to move a different direction because we could not. That was not sustainable for us spiritually. Right. You know, doing something, investing in something that you realize this isn't it, guys. This isn't it. We love you, but this is not it. Yeah. So. So um, how did. There, go, I'm sorry. Go there ahead. was just sounds like there was so much momentum right before all of that changed and just the impact that culture and context has on forward movement. And it's it's really potent to hear your story and how how big that was. Uh, and I do think that, that that meeting in 2006 where the Polish leaders chose church development was key, mm -hmm. that we cannot develop ourselves into reaching a, a, a nation, a group, or whatever, you know, whatever group you're talking about, because development then becomes the key. And then you, development is always there. You're always needing, you're, you never have enough good leaders. Mm -hmm. You never have enough money. Yeah. You never have enough in, whatever in is. Um, the, I mean, when I look historically, you have to have both mission out of the church and mission within the church mm -hmm. good without and within yeah i remember as a kid we went to a church that when we moved uh, we went to one church that was very very focused on the on the local community and um but they didn't care anything for the the church outside of their community huh. And they grew from 350 to like a thousand in a couple of years and then lost everything. Right. I think because of that, right? You, you get self-focused. Another church that only focused on the outside and never on the inside, never on their immediate community. And it still exists. And it's still the same number of people that it was 40 years ago when I was there. Wow. 45. Wow. That's scary. <laughs> that's, a long time ago, man. that's a little while <laughs> you know so I, I think that that was part of it is we need to develop leaders yeah right we need to disciple people but we have to be continually going outside of our community in our broader community in across the world it, it doesn't matter those have to have that has to happen yeah yeah, yeah that's I think that good. was a point of freedom for us you know it's kind of another bubble because um although all the relationships were maintained and you know with many of those evangelical leaders and those are those are friends those are people we've known for years we could sit down for coffee mm -hmm. with them tomorrow if we were in the same location um, but it also freed us to have the time to get to know people who weren't in those circles. 
Right. You know, uh, Catholic priests who were doing amazing ministry, yeah. who had a heart for people, had a heart for scripture, um, who were doing really authentic parish ministry. Um, and, you know, to get to know people who were just normal people who were, you know, walking their life of faith without anybody paying attention, yeah. you know, um, we got to spend time with kids, um, low income, marginalized young people. And some of those relationships we still have, that's a long time ago. You know, these, some of these girls in particular stayed in touch with me. You know, Paul taught them technology. I taught them English. We hung out mm -hmm. with a team. We weren't even the most important people in the team. Yeah. You know, we were just there serving. Um, they're adults, a lot of them now, having babies. And, you know, they'll reach out. It's like, okay, so what was the important stuff in this picture? You know, I think when we go back, we were in Poland this summer for our son's wedding. And um, there's always a sadness. It's like, wow. Not, you know, these things we invested in didn't last or didn't, you know, produce the results we were hoping for. And then you realize, yeah, but look at these people, these individuals okay. here, there, in these contexts, people that are still um, pursuing faith in different ways sometimes, but they're still pursuing faith. They're still moving forward, you know, the fact that one of the young ladies in this after-school program um is now taking trips, vacations. I mean, she lived in an apartment, a one-room apartment with four sisters, all, you know, yeah. multiple parents, uh, or multiple dads, same mom who just passed away last month. And she is actually working hard. She's She and her partner are building a house. She's traveling yeah. on vacation, things that were never, you know, and those aren't the important milestones, but the fact that, that, she has somehow heard that there is a God who loves her, that her life is a mess, but there were other choices and that, mm -hmm. that God is with us, even in those hard circumstances. So there's a lot of joy in that, but we have to choose to shift our focus. I think mm -hmm. even looking back and saying, you know, where, um, and this is every chapter of life, I think. Yeah. Um, Paul and I usually have this conversation. We, you know, we're both strategic, futuristic people. Those are two of our strengths that we both have. So we always have these big ideas and big pictures. <laughs> but then when a chapter ends and you look back and we're reminded continually, it was really about the one-on-ones. It was really mm -hmm. about those individual conversations, relationships, um, investments. That That is where the fruit tends to always be. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Communitas podcast. And remember, that was just the first half of a conversation that Jeff and I had with Paul and Karen Henze. We're going to do a special release next week where you can hear part two and the rest of our conversation. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, please share with friends and like and subscribe. You can find the Communitas podcast on all major podcast platforms. Don't miss out. We'll be here next week with part two.